0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's official. I have fallen way too far behind the Sports Ethos writers in the season review series because as of today, I am now five teams behind. Oopsies. That's fine. We had other stuff to talk about. We needed to talk about Yahoo's pre ranks Still got another show of that in the hopper. Lessons learned. Playoff resets. There's all these things going on, and I just... I don't know. I didn't feel like I needed to keep up all that close. Whatever, man. I'd do what I want. <laughs> I always think of the Eric Cartman South Park deal. It's my hot body. Whatever. I'd do what I want. Silly, silly episode. So today... We're going to be diving into the next team on the board, which is the Dallas Mavericks. That, that article came out over at Sports Ethos nine days ago. I don't know how I fell this far behind, but I did. So we'll try to play a little bit of catch up. The article on Sports Ethos was written by the inimitable Mike Passador, who might very well be the best fantasy player on earth and doesn't like social media. So none of you guys get to hear about him. But Mike is incredible. He's won 30 deep, like two of the last three or four years. He's the reason that a lot of what we do here at Sports Ethos is so freaking accurate. And he put together the Mavs recap. So all of that to say, you should definitely go check that out. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a podcast, a show. We're putting on a show. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Keep on the lookout elsewhere uh for the sideline sports podcast buddy of mine alex Naveja was kind enough to have me on his show so that'll be floating around on the internet in the next couple of hours uh and i'll be breaking down lakers and nuggets on that show just a lot of fun he'd been we've been trying to get the timing to work out for like three years because my schedule is so dumb it's part of why i have so few guests on this show it's my own stinking schedule nothing fits i'm constantly racing Anyway, um, let's just dive right on in at the end, not the end, but the second half of the show, second segment, is where we'll dive into the playoffs again. We've already talked about Heat Celtics a decent amount over the last two days, myself on Monday with Mike Fiddle yesterday, so we'll be kind of uh, catching up on the Lakers Nuggets series, which, if game one was any indicator, is going to be a fun one, but the Mavericks, the Mavericks, hugely disappointing season. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it, they were far worse than than anybody ever expected. They f- they fell apart late. They made this big trade for Kyrie Irving at the trade deadline. And everybody was like, oh, talent's going to win out. Well, Luca got hurt. Kyrie got hurt. Even when they were together, they weren't all that formidable because no one on that team can play defense anymore. They traded everybody that played any defense on that Mavericks club. And they ended 38-44, and 44, two games back of the Thunder for the final play-in spot, which they basically just relinquished with a Luca rest game even while they were mathematically still able to make the playoffs. But there were very few saving graces on a Mavs team that basically had one fantasy player throughout the year. Now, that changed a bit after the Kyrie Irving acquisition because, you know, Kyrie's going to have value. But this year, Luca finished at number 15 for the season. And the second best fantasy value on the team of anybody that was there from the start of the year was Christian Wood, and he ended up around 90. But it wasn't like it was a smooth sailing 90. It was like top 200 for four and a half months and like top 20 for the other five weeks. It happened while guys were hurt. Dwight Powell missed time. Maxi Kleba missed a ton of time. That was the really big one in the front court. By and large, the team was mostly healthy. Luca only missed 16 games. Christian Wood missed 15. That's a team that should be able to kind of hang in there if those guys miss 15 games. That's like right around the league average right now. But then you're also looking at a club that doesn't really know who's going to be on their team next year. Kyrie Irving's contract is the big question mark. He made 39 mil. He's due for a brand new deal. I'm sure Maverick is going to offer it to him because they kind of sold the farm to get him, and then losing him for nothing would be catastrophic. But even if they do re-sign Kyrie to a long-term deal, what is it about this roster that makes us think anything's going to be better or different? Tim Hardaway Jr. has a couple more years at a relatively affordable price. Davis Bertans has this ridiculous albatross of a contract. He got a ton of money because he had... One season where he hit every three-pointer he shot, and then he's turned right back into a pumpkin since then. Christian Wood's a free agent. Dwight Powell's a free agent. Reggie Bullock has a non-guaranteed contract. They probably bring him back. Maxi Kleba is really the only guy you look at that roster and you're like, oh, this is a relatively decent deal. He plays all right. He's a decent big man. He can stretch the floor a tad. Rebounds, okay, but not great. Young players of note, Jaden Hardy, Josh Green... Maybe that's the one that you're looking at like, all right, well, that guy might be able to turn himself into something. But once Kyrie, presumably, let's say he's back. Let's let's guess that Kyrie does come back to the Mavericks, which, again, not a guarantee. I mean, if we're still talking, I, I know all the reports out there are like, oh, Lakers not interested in Kyrie Irving anymore. But look, like, D'Angelo Russell has been relatively bad in these playoffs so far. He had one or two games where he kind of exploded, but other than that, They've had to yank him in favor of Dennis Schroeder down the stretch of a lot of ball games here, just because Schroeder can screen navigate better, just a little bit more heady on the defensive side, which is saying something because Schroeder is not exactly known for his defense, but he's been a lot better in that regard. So what if Kyrie comes out and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm interested. I'll go to the Lakers on you know thirty some odd mil instead of forty some odd." What if that happened? Anyway, he's not a lock. But I think we have to operate under the assumption that he will be back with Dallas. Just sort of take that. Again, this is like math logic kind of deal. We just have to assume something to be true. And so if we assume that something to be true, then you just kind of look at like the last 15, 20 games of the season. And in that stretch, Kyrie was number eight. So he continued to put up solid numbers even in his new locale. Luka fell off a little bit. It wasn't. It wasn't even necessarily that his usage took a hit. It only came down by one shot per ball game the entire season versus the final month. His assists and his rebounds were actually relatively tight. Uh, But the field goal percent came down. Free Free throw percent actually was better. Sort of bounces around for him. But over the course of the year, Luka actually had a big steals run that has never really been his jam. So when it didn't last forever... uh probably shouldn't have been all that surprising to us. Because that's just not really who he's been. His steals are fine. You know, they're not like... It's not a bad stat. But he's been much closer to 1, 1.1. As opposed to for a lot... For much of this season, he was at 1.5. And that's a big difference in overall value. His free throw number also went way up this year. So that negative became a stronger, a more heavily weighted negative. And then the field goal percent was actually really high for most of this season. He shot about 51% first three, four months of the year, and then he was around 46% the rest of the way. So to analyze Luka Doncic, he very much will be overdrafted in nine category leagues because that's just the way it works. His ADP gets pushed up the board due to points leagues and eight category formats where he is a much, much better player. This season, his field goal percent was the world's smallest positive, little, 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 little positive. Free throw percent was a big negative. Turnovers were a big negative. If you eliminate those three categories, Luka Doncic becomes an extraordinarily valuable fantasy player. It's easy to do. In fact, I think if you're if you're points leaguing, I believe he's number one. Not 100 percent positive. I guess it depends a little bit on how uh, what scoring settings you're on. But he's top two or three at the very worst in points formats. And because of that. Because Yahoo's ADP numbers and pre-ranked, well, really they're pre-ranked numbers, but if the ADP is what you're looking at, he's always going to be listed too early for folks that play category leagues. Kyrie is going to take a ton of heat, as he always does for missing basketball games. He played in 60 out of 82 this year, which, again, not great, especially when the dude was presumably playing for this gigantor contract. He missed some time with some injuries. He missed some time at the end of the year with a couple of ball games. They shut him down with, like, what did he play? One of their last three games or something like that. So it wasn't a particularly substantial one. But he had back stuff. He had more back stuff. He had, like, knee stuff, groin stuff. He got some back-to-backs off, uh, I think, even when he was still in Brooklyn. And, you know, 60 games this year. But at least it wasn't for weird stuff. It presumably was injury this year. So, you know, what does that make for Kyrie? Well, if he is number seven on a per game basis for the season, which he was, but he only plays 60 ball games, that drops his actual value down to 22, which means that he was by totals a slight miss and by per game, he was a slight hit because he was drafted like around, you know, 13, 14, 15 range. So he outperformed that. Roto style, you probably were relatively happy with what he did, and then head-to-head, you were probably kind of annoyed, but you were likely kind of leaning away from Kyrie on the head-to-head side anyway, because you knew something was going to crop up. So, what do we think for next year? Kyrie, probably on the head-to-head side, is will continue to be a huge headache. On the Roto side, he will be probably a very small headache, but possibly, like, let's say he drops a little, because people saw him change teams, and who knows where he's going to end up, but let's say, again, he's back with Dallas as the Luka sidekick. I don't think people are going to draft him at 12 as a sidekick, even if he likely still deserves to be drafted pretty high because he was KD's sidekick in Brooklyn. Luca's usage a little bit higher there, I suppose, but Kyrie's going to get his looks, especially on a team where if Christian Wood doesn't come back, which by all indications is not a top priority for Dallas, if he's not back... Uh, you're talking about Kyrie Luka, and like Tim Hardaway Jr. are the only guys on that team willing to shoot a ball. If Christian Wood is not back, it does create a little bit of an opening in the front court. I don't know if that's going to be Kleba or Dwight Powell because each of them needs uh, some sort of boost to get where they where we'd want them to be on the on the per game side. But like Maxi Kleba, for instance, averaged 25 minutes a game this year. Six points, three and a half rebounds under a block and one three pointer. That's not going to get it done. Even if you extrapolated that to like 32, 33 minutes, it's still not quite good enough because he just doesn't do anything. Dwight Powell played only 19 minutes this year. You could certainly see him if if he suddenly is the guy that gets 30 minutes a ball game, there's a there's a path there of, you know, 10 points. 8 rebounds, 1.5 assists, maybe a steal, and like .8 blocks on good field goal percent, where he could get kind of near the top 100. But I'm not about to sell the farm for either of those guys. I'd probably take a shot on Dwight Powell at like pick 140 in a draft. If, again, the point here, if Christian Wood is not back. If Wood is back, he's another guy that is going to get overdrafted because because he had a four-week stretch where he was a monster, or because he gets points, rebounds, and and blocks. I I honestly don't even know. there's, There's a love for Christian Wood out there that I can't fully wrap my head around because he's just so wildly inconsistent and is a big man who understands almost nothing on the defensive principle side. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. But maybe the Mavs are just like, look, we're going to beat you with offense this coming year. Uh, If they have Kyrie and Luca, I feel like they probably would prefer to have guys around them that can play some D and preferably space the floor a little bit. But yeah, that's where that one sits. So as far as looking towards the future, Kyrie Irving is your sort of risky, small upside play at the beginning. Luka's going to be your guy that hurts you in 9-cat, but is probably accurately drafted in 8, and maybe even underdrafted in, in points leagues, unless he's going first, I guess. Um, Christian Wood, if he's back, I don't think I'm dealing with it. And then if he's gone, then maybe we look at, like, a Dwight Powell, although perhaps it's a situation where we just kind of wait and see who starts. Like, maybe they start. Let's see, does JaVale McGee have one more year on his, or is it a one-year deal? No, he's got a couple more. Maybe they start JaVale McGee and play him 20 minutes. I don't know. He has the better fantasy value of those guys, but dude only played eight minutes a game this year, so you really didn't get to see it flexed in any reasonable way. And overall, I thought the Mavericks' season, both from reality and from fantasy, was a pretty huge disappointment. Luka was overdrafted. Wood was overdrafted. Kyrie wasn't there. I'm not even counting him as part of the mix. Tim Hardaway got added and dropped in every league 35 times. Powell, Kleba, those guys were on and off of rosters a little bit. Josh Green was on rosters when both Kyrie and Luka were out. Jaden Hardy, same story. Streamer-level guys. Mavs are annoying, man, and it's going to be annoying to try to get any of them next year. So I would probably recommend just don't worry about it. If Kyrie falls to you mid-second round or later, you do it. Because, again, per-game upside, that's what you're hunting, second, third, fourth, whatever, without, you know, if you're somebody that hasn't had, like, catastrophic injuries all that often in his career, Kyrie's been more the little bumps and bruises type, and then, you know, self-inflicted, whatever. But that's a team where I'm not really looking at him as a bunch of good options. And you know they want to do better than this year because this year was ugly. I don't know that that necessarily supports additional fantasy value, but damn. One of the biggest disappointments in the NBA this season. Maybe the biggest. Maybe the biggest disappointment. cause like, or Blazers are certainly up there for me as a disappointing team. Raptors, but at least they made the nine spot. Wizards were a medium disappointment. I think the Mavs are the biggest. I think Dallas is the biggest disappointment of the season. Somehow Jason Kidd still has his job. Doc Rivers got fired, as we expected. That happened in the middle of the day. What? No, morning yesterday? I don't know. So uh, that spot is is now open. Oh, man. A lot of open spots there. It does feel like the Mavericks could make an adjustment at head coach, and it would probably help them. I don't hate Jason Kidd as much as everybody else does, but he certainly isn't the best coach available right now with Budenholzer, Doc Rivers, uh, Nick Nurse. I mean, it, it's been a bit of a bloodbath lately. Monty Williams, almost forgot about Monty. Ty Lu apparently is being given the opportunity to interview at other places. What kind of insanity is this? Or maybe not, but apparently teams are like, oh, we're interested in Ty Lu. Y'all know he has a job right now, right? Is someone going to give the Clippers assets to trade Ty Lu? If I'm the Clippers, I definitely do that. Throw someone else in there. Make your head athletic trader the head coach of the team. His job is just to massage Kawhi Leonard's leg every time he runs up and down the court. Mid-game. Timeout. Leg massage. Paul George, timeout. We're going to rub those hammies. Wish I had the Herbert... Sound effect from Family Guy for that moment. I could try to do it myself, but I don't know. It might turn a lot of you off to this podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the basketball going on right now. Lakers Nuggets yesterday was a uh, really fun ball game. It didn't look like it was going to be because the Nuggets just boat raced the Lakers in the first quarter, pushed out to a big lead after one dramatically out rebounded the Lakers. That was so huge and Mike Breen kept pointing it out over and over again on the on the broadcast and rightfully so. He was like you have to adjust your eyes a little. 20 to 3 was the rebounding advantage for the Nuggets at one point they were plus 17 and the rest of the way uh it was a dead heat. 27 rebounds apiece after that moment. And of course, while that was going on, the Lakers just kept slowly clawing their way back into the ballgame. They got it down to as little as a three-point hole with the basketball, and LeBron took a pull-up three-pointer and missed it, to no one's surprise. LeBron has not been able to hit the three-ball this year. Austin Reeves hit five of them. Why LeBron was the guy taking it in that moment, I have no idea, especially when you consider the fact that LeBron and AD were basically getting layups on every possession leading up to that sort of boneheaded decision. But again, that's not why the Lakers lost the ballgame. Lakers lost the ballgame because they were sleepwalking through the first quarter, and it was not a schematic thing that Denver was doing because Denver missed some shots. It wasn't like everything was a layup. Remember the, what was that, game five? No, you know what? It was game four, actually, Lakers-Warriors in L.A., where the Warriors got layups for basically the first 24 minutes of the ballgame, and the Lakers somehow still won that game. But in this one, it was just sort of too much, and the difference between that game against the Warriors and this game against the Nuggets is that, yeah, the Nugs got some transition opportunities, but if you look at the entire ball game, Lakers actually outscored the Nuggets in transition on like a per-opportunity basis. Lakers were better in their transition opportunities than Denver was in theirs, but Denver just got so many of them in the first quarter. Lakers had a few turnovers early, but mostly it was missed shot transition or offensive rebound. So Denver was just getting rebounds at both ends of the court. They were racking up a possession advantage that they never relinquished throughout the ball game. And the Lakers couldn't come back from it. But the rest of the game, I'd say kind of like middle of the second quarter on, the Lakers were down, you know, 15-16 points at that point. So and, and it bounced it bounced for like a quarter and a half between like 13 and 20 or 11 and 20. And then all of a sudden, Lakers got themselves back into it. But how did they do that? And what does that mean for us as we look towards the next ball game? Well, the next one is tomorrow. Nuggets favored by five and a half. Line open at six and a half, and it actually came down right out of the chute, which I can certainly understand because the Lakers were the vastly better team in the second half of that first game. So then you're thinking, okay, well, can that continue? What adjustments are the Nuggets going to make to try to slow down a Lakers offense that was getting wide open looks on every possession the last 16-17 minutes of that ball game. Like, wide open. Uh, The problem, of course, for Denver is their defense is going to have to be all about containment. Lakers played two teams to this point that had a good interior defender, or as many as two, honestly. Uh, Memphis had JJJ, terrific interior defender, one of the best in the NBA, The Warriors had Draymond, who's an outstanding position defender, very strong with quick hands. Not a massive shot blocker like Jaron Jackson, but a good defender. And they could pair him with Kevon Looney, who's, again, not a stellar defender, but a big dude. Now you get to Denver. They've got Aaron Gordon, who's a pretty good uh, perimeter defender. He's strong. Michael Porter Jr., not known for his defense. KCP, decent, but, you know, shooting guard. So he's not exactly protecting the rim. And Jamal Murray is, is, you know, average, basically. But the issue, of course, is that the last line of defense for Denver is Nikola Jokic, who has pretty good hands. You have to when you can catch and throw the way he does. So he'll get some strips, but AD can go right over him in a way that Davis couldn't really go over JJJ and couldn't really go around Draymond Green. AD has the speed and Athleticism advantage over Jokic. And I don't know that you could say he had both of those edges against anybody else. So I've got to say, I I mean, I wish that I had seen this line last night at six and a half. Lakers catching six and a half is uh I thought a really good number. Catching five and a half, I probably would still lean Lakers in game two. Total is up, opened at 225 and a half, it's up to two twenty-seven after the first ball game went to two fifty-eight. I did tell y'all on Monday, first game overs, everybody just throws their fastball and nobody knows how to guard it. Now they've all seen it. But I'm not convinced that there's really anything that the the Nuggets can do to stop Anthony Day. I don't know that there's anything they can do to stop AD other than throwing multiple players at him, and I don't think they want to do that because it breaks down the rest of the defense, and you know everybody else in the Lakers wants to go to the rim anyway. On the other side, there really isn't a way to stop Nikola Jokic either. So I I want to make sure that this discussion is is accurate and reflecting both sides. But what you did see from the Lakers was finding a way to get Anthony Davis off of Jokic as the primary. They stuck Rui Hachimuri on on him, which, I mean, Jokic can dominate Rui because of a big size advantage. But what the Lakers were able to do there was every time Jokic tried to get closer to the rim... With Hachimura on him, they were like, Rui, just like stand your ground as much as you can, try to slow him down." And Anthony Davis is going to come wandering over off of Bruce Brown or off of Aaron Gordon or whatever player on Denver is the least threatening outside shooter. Jeff Green, Christian Brown—if he was in the ball game—they'll just stick AD on one of those dudes because MPJ, KCP, and Jamal Murray—all those guys can shoot. They don't want—they don't want AD on those dudes. So for Denver, if they want to try to go the Warriors route, then they would have Gordon out. I don't know how much they could use Bruce. He was great, by the way. Brown was great. But Lakers are totally fine with him chucking three-pointers. He made one yesterday, and he made a couple during the regular season and was like, oh, see, I can make him. Remember, he did a whole thing. I love Bruce Brown. He's a fantastic basketball player. But he's not that great of an outside shooter. And the Lakers are sort of counting on during a seven-game series they sag off the guys that aren't great, that they're not going to have four really good games. Now, there only needs to be three at this point because everyone on Denver hit every difficult shot in game one. But from a tactics standpoint, tactically, I do think the Lakers have a slight edge in this series. But what I don't know is what the two teams are going to do in their next one. Nuggets will throw some new stuff at LA. Lakers will have to figure out how to get around it. Lakers, you saw them play one of their hands, so Denver has to figure out what they want to do to get Jokic easier looks. And the Lakers did a better job late of slowing down transition opportunities. One way to do that was to make almost every shot, which they kind of did in the second half, but that's the big thing. Take away the running, allow AD to set himself and be a roving defender, the guy just prowling, and life is going to be kind of hard for the Nuggets. But they're so damn good at shooting that they might be able to overcome it anyway, which is kind of what you saw late in yesterday's ballgame. Nuggets hit a few wild desperation shots that probably you could argue kind of held the Lakers at bay, and they uh, were able to hang on and win the ballgame. Now, as far as the total goes for this next one, 227, You know, the, if you think back to the bubble, neither of these teams really ever figured out a great way to slow down the other one. Funny thing is that they largely had Dwight Howard on Nikola Jokic in that series, and so he was involved in a Jamal Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll. Now Denver has a choice. Lakers are just not going to put AD on anyone that's going to get in a Jokic pick-and-roll. They're not. If AD is on Bruce Brown, they're like, oh, well, they can just have Bruce Brown run a pick-and-roll with Nikola Jokic. Okay, uh, fine. Um, Lakers could just switch it, or they could just go under it. I mean, that's, Brown is not a guy that's striking fear into your heart if you go under the screen on him. So that's not the answer. I don't know what the answer is going to be. Denver, is very their coaching staff is way smarter than I am. Uh, but how they're going to get Anthony Davis away from the rim is uh, a really difficult question that Memphis didn't have the personnel to do. The Warriors did, to some degree, have the personnel to do it. And that's why they got so many easy looks. Because Steph could have the ball coming around a screen and... A.D. had no choice but to get out on him in a way that in this series, you know, if Jamal Murray's handling the basketball and he's calling for a screen, it would have to be from whoever A.D. is guarding. Is that Aaron Gordon? But do the Nuggets really want to run a Jamal Murray-Aaron Gordon pick-and-roll all game long? That takes Jokic out of the mix. That disrupts everything they're trying to do. We shall see. Slightly into the Lakers in Game 2. Um... I actually think there's a chance that game two goes back over the total again, although if the Nuggets miss a lot of those long twos and threes that they hit in the last one, there's a possibility the Lakers get this down to their pace. So not a strong feeling on the total. Uh, I think there is, again, I would slightly lean to the over, but I don't want it. Um, Lakers is the side that I would look at uh, to at least keep the next one tight, keep it tighter throughout the ball game in a way that falling way behind in game one didn't really pan out. We've talked plenty about Heath Celtics. Uh... Fiddle and I agree that we like the over. First game overs, Celtics are not going to be as laser-focused on this first game here as they were in the last two against the Philadelphia 76ers. And you see when Boston's not super focused, they get into a little bit of a track meet kind of ball game. So I would look at the over tonight. That's a play I like. Um, relatively strong lean there, actually. No feelings on the side. Baby, baby, baby lean if I w- had to pick one. I'd say Heat like 51%, 49%. percent <laughs> really almost nothing at all there. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that series after we get a look at game one that's coming up tonight on some notable television network. All righty. On to the next one, everybody. Thanks for listening as always to fantasy NBA today. Please hit me up on Twitter. If you have any questions or thoughts, or you want to be part of what we're doing over here at sports ethos. Again, we got some podcasts with open hosting seats, that we're looking to fill between now and uh, free agency would be the time we'd everybody would love to get a show out about the team that they're covering. At Dan Bespris, B-E-S-B-R-I-S, sportsethos.com, the website. Go check out the Pandas breakdown on the Dallas Mavericks, which again has been out for a week and a half already. But you know what? If you hadn't seen it, new to you. Okay, that's it. Goodbye.